a lot of people live in denial because they think that to be realistic is to be depressing. I'm Dr. Mike, host of Going There. It was the first song where I wrote about how I felt like my depression was killing me and I didn't want it. Going There breaks the stigma of mental health issues by having real honest conversations with your favorite musicians, including Alessia Cara, Lizzie Hale, Jewel, Jason Isbell, Gerard Way, Lauren Gray, Shamir, and Barty Strange. There was something there that was so raw where I was like, wow, I can't believe someone would say that. Let's go there on Going There with Dr. Mike, brought to you by Sound Mind Live and the Consequence Podcast Network every other Tuesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, 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 hey! How y'all feeling? Journey through the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year, that matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corder. The waiting for Bonnaroo 2018 might just be over soon. Day after day passes when we get closer and closer to Bonnaroo 2018. Welcome to the What Podcast. That's Barry Corder from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. I'm Brad Steiner from Hits 96 WDOD in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I hate to start this episode out this way because I love Boney Vare so much, but guys, Kanye West's favorite artist is playing Bonnaroo this year. <laughs> Always got to bring up Kanye. Yeah, <laughs> it all comes back to Kanye somehow. <laughs> yeah, it does. Boney Vare, the subject of this week's podcast. Now, I would love to have secured a conversation with Justin yep. because there's nobody who's more fascinating in this industry than Justin, but I would have been a nervous wreck because he's far, far smarter and <laughs> far, far better at talking about this than I, which... I talk about Bon Iver a lot. Yeah, and we're going to do that today, and, and glad you pointed it out. We did not get him on the on the phone, so this is just us talking about uh, about him. This is going to irritate you, Barry. At the end of today, you're going to be so irritated with me because you're going to hear this conversation probably 45 more times between now and the end of Bonnaroo. I was driving over here. I, I wondered, is Brad going to say this is his favorite act of all time? Because I'm pretty sure you have said that. Every single week we've done this. I, that's definitely not true. And you know exactly who I'm talking about. Yes. Look, Boney Vare is, uh, you know, for, for, for an artist that started out as an artist that guys only liked so that they could, you know, take a girl home. For me, that's how they started. But they turned into, he might be one of the most unique artists that we have. The man invents his own language. Uh, he just doesn't speak the same words that we do. No, I've been, I spent all morning listening uh, to uh, their music, his music, and it occurred to me last night as I was listening, I can't compare this to anything else. Right. You know, I don't like doing that anyway. Right. But you can't help it with some things. You know, you hear bits and pieces of something or somebody. I, I can't, which is probably fine. I shouldn't. And then there's also, as I was listening, there are things in there that make me stare at the speaker. Yeah. Wonder, like, did somebody just walk in? Is there somebody (laughs) knocking on my window outside? Did a car drive by? Uh What's that squeaking noise? Yeah, Yeah, (laughs) sure. 
there is just all kinds of glasses tinkling. And, right. Uh, yeah, I was looking over my shoulder all the time. Were you a Bon Iver fan before, I, I guess, you, you found my orbit? Because I love Bon Iver and I talk about Bon Iver a lot. Were you a big fan? Was no. it something that... Not no. really. no. Um, they see, like he seems like something, especially the first album for Emma. Yeah, seems like something that had been right up your alley. Yeah, it is. There's stuff, you know. There's some things that, whether it's just time or whatever, I just haven't stumbled across it. It's not that I didn't like. Yeah. I just didn't know, didn't know much about it, about the the group. Uh, to be honest, didn't you know know how to say it properly? Right. <laughs> I think the first few years everybody was saying Bon Iver. Sure. Bon Iver, yeah. Looking up today, uh, researching about the name, I should say they they were uh, into Winter is Coming before anybody, right? Well, there, you know, there's something about atmosphere and music, right? There's something that that takes you to a certain place, and I find it to be quite ironic that the show that I'm most excited about this year on the farm in what will probably be 95 degree Tennessee heat is a band that evokes so much yeah. coldness. Everything that you hear from Bon Iver, I find to be just snow covered, completely snow covered. Absolutely. I don't know what having mononucleosis is like. I don't know what winters in Wisconsin are like. Right. I've never put myself into a cabin by myself right. in the winter in Wisconsin. But when I listen to that album, especially, I have to imagine that's what it's like. Right, exactly. That's what's so fantastic yeah. about at least the first two albums. If you don't know much about the Bon Iver story, Justin, basically the, the heart and soul of it, I equate him a lot like James Murphy from LCD Sound System in that they are the entire creative force be, right. behind, a, behind a project. So he goes through this crisis sometime in his mid-20s. He has a breakup. He uh, gets mono. He's living in North Carolina. He's feeling like a total failure. Music's not going well for him. So he takes to his dad's cabin in Wisconsin and he shuts himself off from the world and eventually uh, writes for Emma forever ago. Wasn't intending to write anything. Sure. Wasn't it did not go there as a musical uh, sort of uh, hiatus mm-hmm. or a, or a um, you know a working I think started writing and uh, as I understand it eventually came up with what he thought were some demos that he might could uh, shop around and people convinced him that it was a record mm. um, and you know you say for Emma this is ten year anniversary right. I know we're going to talk about uh, you know he's doing two shows on mm-hmm. the farm so what will he do I know he did did that entire album uh, but I think that was a one off so right. I don't know if we'll see some of that or, or I have some ideas and you can thank some industry people you can thank some people from Inforu and Reddit but I have some ideas about what the two shows will be but that's been the, the biggest question of this year what will Justin do because when it first came out I said to you when we when we did the live yeah, show first. it could be anything yeah. he literally could go in absolutely in any direction I even said if he really wanted to he could do an EDM show well you remember when we had uh, Ashley Caps. Right. On uh, third week, we asked him, and he didn't know. Right. Or if he did, he wasn't telling. But yeah. I, I believe he. I believe him. I uh, think his exact words is, "I don't think Justin knows exactly, that. Yeah. exactly what he said." I'm, <laughs> I'm sure he's thinking of it. So the thing that I love about the story of, and I hate this way that the story came about because it requires like heartbreak and uh, life-altering decisions that you have to make. So for him, it's heartbreaking and, and hard to live through. But for us, yeah. The story is so good, and I'll be honest with you, after listening to For Emma, it sort of makes me want to be in a cabin in the snow-covered woods. (laughs) That sort of sounds romantic to me right now.
It's just an amazingly written album. It's so pretty. It's so beautiful. Uh, it takes you straight to a time and a place where wherever he was in his life, I'll put, it, I'll put it this way. There's not an album I love more than something that takes me, plucks me up from my space and my situation where I am, and then puts me right into theirs. And I feel like I'm living it. Yeah. And that's what a, an artist does. That's what a good artist does. I was thinking about that as we were listening. Sometimes, you know, uh, and especially a musician will, will write something that we can completely identify with, mm-hmm. uh, heartbreak, breakup, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, sometimes, I can't remember who we talked about earlier in an earlier podcast, probably Anderson Pat, uh, talking about how that life, the life that he had coming up is not ours, but we could identify right. with it because he, you know, yeah. it, it was presented. And uh, you're exactly right. It, that album just transports you. Right. It takes you to an entirely different place and you can't help but go. I like the way you say that. You can't help but go. Even when he writes things that are so head scratching, when he puts words together that don't really make any sense. I'm still right there with you. Look, this is this is bizarre. If you go from doing nothing in North Carolina and then going to some random place in Wisconsin, put together a demo tape and some and some songs, and out of nowhere, you find blog culture. I yeah. can't really remember if it was the start, but it was right there when blog music blog culture started blowing up, right? Somewhere right. around 2006, 2007, he finds the attention of my old Kentucky blog. Right. And, you know, my old Kentucky blog blows it up, and he becomes a, a viral indie rock sensation. And it sounds pretty typical these days that oh yeah internet star got it but in 2007 yeah. did we have that many no internet stars i mean i think maybe foster the people was one of them back then but you know that was um, when it really started to blossom and blow up it's interesting yeah it was the my old kentucky blog and then pitchfork and he i think he they printed what 500 copies of that first record right. and sent 12 to media types yeah mostly blogs i didn't get it by the way did you i didn't get yours? either i yeah, didn't, I didn't. Either. We, i wasn't blogging we weren't on the list but you know we can sort of tie that circle even a little tighter remember back in 2007 and 2002 as we've talked about bonnaroo helped change that whole music culture bonnaroo changed the festival culture mm-hmm. and then the internet and blogs and all that sort of interesting talking to you sitting here in a radio station of all things right that's kind of when music changed i think people became more it became cooler to have a playlist that did not include radio hits right than the other right so and in my personal life strangely enough That is the exact year that our radio station went from cool indie rock to top 40. The same exact year. We went the opposite direction. Interesting. Yeah. My life and Justin Vardis, exactly the same. Probably about that time that I saw one of my favorite t-shirts at Bonnaroo that said, I'm into bands that don't even exist yet. That's my dude. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I love that. He hits on the blog and then he hits Bonnaroo 2009. Right, 2009, if you go back, and I've, I've fancied myself in, in these podcasts now, going back and looking at where an artist was in relation to the poster and how it's uh, sort of uh, moved up. Like, look at 2009, when he first plays Bonnaroo. He's in between Girl Talk and Bella Fleck. One, two, three, four, six lines down. That was Bruce. That was the Bruce year. Okay. Bruce, Fish, Beastie Boys, Nine Inch Nails, David Byrne, Wilco, Al Green, Snoop Dogg. There's your top two lines. Yeah. It is interesting to look back at that. And like we talked about last week, those are sort of those do-over moments that I wish I could go back and see certain shows, right. but but you don't know. That's um, one of those that you missed probably in 2000. Oh, uh, no question. This is a bit embarrassing, but I got off stage once at Bonnaroo, I think the first time we played. I'm not, a, I'm not totally crying all the time. I'm, like, I'm, not, I'm somewhat sensitive, but I'm not a huge crier. 
got off stage and it was a great show. Like we thrashed it. I think Sean broke a bunch of drums and it was so good. Like it was such a good feeling and I just was so not there. I had to go so far in a, in a weird direction to be there properly. It's a very sensitive thing to say, but it's true. Yeah, I, I just think as we look forward, we really want to just try to make every concert experience or if we're going to play music, let's have it mean something. We put together a set of our, our gear that just like packs away into smaller cases. They become pretty large. Here's what I remember. Uh, one of my favorite moments from 2009. And then when Bon Iver came back a few years later, both the same songs. And I hate that it's the big hit, but Justin sitting in a chair and playing Skinny Love for what felt like a tent crowd that never ended. It's gorgeous and um, it's amazing live. The only problem I have with it is that it created a culture of everyone's a singer-songwriter. <laughs> it is played at every open mic that has ever existed since 2008, and it probably will always. It's like when cameras got really good on your phone, everybody became a photographer. Yeah, a photographer. When Skinny Love came out, everybody's a singer-songwriter. Yeah. Because you get to be so earnest. Oh, yeah. Right. You get to really give it back to that girl that broke your heart. Exactly. Right? You get to prove how earnest you are. Right. I always use that word earnest. Like, earnest. Like church folk music. Right. Going back to that whole locking himself in the cabin kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It really transformed him. Music, Not just musically, but I mean, that talk about a finding yourself. Right. He seems like a guy right? who's always trying to find himself. Yeah. He's, he's, that's what makes him so interesting to me is because it, if I had a little bit more intelligence and I was a little bit more neurotic and I was a little bit more, how could I be? Yeah, right. I, I think that I would be doing the exact same thing as he would. Locking myself in a, in a cabin and trying to uh, disassociate from the world and, and refine myself and it, probably go through that every few years. Yeah, I think we're going to hear a bit of an interview from him later where he talks about performing Um, And it's interesting to hear and to think about sometimes artists like that who go so deep, deeply introspective, they don't always want to go out and share because it's Mm. so personal and all. Well, Uh, look at Neutral Milk Hotel. Yeah. I mean, the man put his life and soul into two albums and it broke him. It's like, I gotta get the hell out of here. That's what I mean. Uh, And then to go relive it, you know, for 90 minutes or two hours. uh, For a year and a half. For a year and a half, <laughs> um, that'd be hard to do. This is uh, him talking, and it, it sort of gets you to the heart and soul of what the show is going to be at Bonnaroo. So if you're looking for clues and trying to figure out what exactly they're going to do for two sets, I liked his description of the shows and what his thought on tours in general are. I think one thing is, is that when you go on tour, like every friend that I have that gets a record deal and, and gets to go out on tour, they just go and we went, and um, and almost, almost all of them hit a wall of some kind or another. And it's not even a bad thing. Like, people make runs, and, and it's an amazing experience, and it's not a bad thing necessarily. Uh, like, I don't regret anything that really we've done because I didn't know what I knew at, you know, before that. But something we're going to do different now, I think, is just, you know, I think how you schedule a tour, and it's like, well, let's do that, and we got to go to... We have to go to Pittsburgh and D.C. and Cleveland. And it's really, really hard to quantify it like that. You can't just go and be everywhere. And and to be in demand is a wonderful thing. But if you just go, it's a wonderful thing because it means you get to do what you love for a long time, uh, many times. But if you just go and you're not 
replenishing yourself with reasons to make music or you're not necessarily figuring out ways to change the music you have like Bon Iver went on tour with like less than 10 songs for like a long time <laughs> and and we did a good job you know and it was really fun and we had the best of times uh you you burn out on that curating a different show every time you get on stage trying to figure out specific ways that you can make this experience different each and every time i love that i love that part of the artistry of this yeah it's you know you and i don't tour we don't perform just wait just yeah, wait about yeah. it. wait until i get my indie band that doesn't exist together yet <laughs> i think it's sometimes hard to understand that what he's talking about we you know years and years we've heard of the Neil Youngs and the Dillons and the Van Morrisons who have a reputation of being sort of hard to deal with or persnickety or whatever. And I think it comes down to kind of what he's just talking about is it's not just call it in Mm. every night. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not 200 nights of the same thing or it shouldn't be to guys like that. Uh, It has to mean something. So that would be tough to put yourself out there and, and rip yourself open every night and look at it you know, blank faces right. staring back at you. Or, right. And then creating a level of expectation for yourself that you have to match every single day. That too. That's, yeah. But it's, you know, I, I don't know the reasons why he canceled half of his tour as soon as 22 a million came out. I don't know why, but I can probably figure it out. Yeah. I can probably figure it out based on the kind of guy that he is. Yeah. He's trying, he's trying to set a very high bar and match it every single time he goes on stage, which is why did you see the story of how Boney Vare put together a dance show? Yes. So the other night in some sort was it a Wisconsin theater? I think it was Chicago. Okay, I think. so so they mash up a a dance collaboration. They put a, a collaboration with the dance troupe and Boney Vare songs, and it was highly regarded. The the right. reviews of this show were just through the roof and how it was some about social and racial justice, and some of it was just pretty dancing along with, with Boney Vare songs. He debuted new material. Right. I mean, if you start trying to ask yourself, what is this show going to be at Bonnaroo? Right. Uh-oh, here's another wrinkle. I mean, it could be, a he, he could bring out, you know, the dance troupe and have that as your late night witch yeah. show. And see, isn't that interesting? Because as a, as a fan, I would like to see that show. I think I would too. But I understand why he can't do that every night. <laughs> but you know right. what I mean? Yeah. Is that, it's that thing. How- well, he's not necessarily Beyonce. I no. mean, <laughs> it's going to be tough. Right. So, I mean, that's, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting dilemma. Um, there's certain artists I mentioned, Van Morrison, that, that is on my bucket list, Mm -hmm. but in the back of my head, I'm thinking if it's a good Van Morrison show, you know, he might do what he wants to do and it might not be what I wanted to see. So there, then that come, there's that question of, is it his responsibility to give me what I paid my money for? Or is it my responsibility to accept what he wants to present? That is a great question. And I think of it like I go to a restaurant, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Some restaurants like hole in the wall Mexican joint, I want it exactly the way that I want it. Right. But if I'm going to a five star Michelin starred restaurant, I'm taking whatever you're giving me, pal. Right. You're you're the artist here, not you're, me. Just yeah. give me whatever you think my palate needs. That's that's a great point, and uh, hopefully you knew that when you went into the restaurant. And right. And if you didn't, it's on you. It's on you. Yeah, I agree. I'm not one that has to hear the hits the exact same way they're on the radio. From certain artists, as long as it's honest and well presented, uh, you know, Paul McCartney went for a decade where I guess he was tired of doing them all the same way. And I didn't care for what he was doing. Right. Um, the show we saw 
four or five years ago, on the other hand, was was great. So, you know, there, it, it's a tough call and I get it. I, I can't imagine. And, you know, you've interviewed artists as well as I have that play the same thing over and over and over and over. I can't imagine what that's like, but I also, you know, they'll tell you that pays the bills. Yeah. So, I mean, it's an interesting question. Well, the question comes back to what is the show going to be? And if I uh, look through InfoRoom, I look through Reddit, and I talk to at least some people who may know what's going on, here's what I'm putting my money on. You got a, uh, like Ashley said, uh, a regular Bon Iver show, and then play 22 a million in its entirety. It would take you about 45 minutes uh, with shortened set times at Bonnaroo, by the way, which I want to talk about here in a little bit because the schedule came out this week is he plays 22 a million completely and then the second set is basically a super jam of artists that that he wants to he wants to join yeah i wondered about that too that would be cool i think that it would work yeah. i mean he's he's played with james blake kanye loves him he's adored by the industry i don't see how that doesn't work yeah now i'm not going to say no to the dance troupe showing up and doing that either yeah you know a question I, that i just thought of i wish we had asked ashley is Whose idea was it for him to do, for them to do two sets? Uh, I wonder if they already had in mind they wanted to do two or mm-hmm. if, if uh, Ashley and that group of five that does the uh, booking yeah. offered it. I don't know. So he writes this beautiful, folksy, indie, you know, acoustic guitar-based album for Emma Forever Ago. Then he uh, decides to plug in the guitars, add some horns, talks to Bruce Hornsby, and writes Bon Iver, Bon Iver. That was 2000, what, 12? Yeah. Right? 2008, 2012. Uh, he had been around in touring and a massive star for, what, five years? I mean, how many years? He, he did this for... And then he gets nominated for a Grammy. Best New Artist. <laughs> He wins a Best New Artist Grammy four years after his original album comes out. How does that happen? It happens all the time. I have no idea. Yeah, guys, a third record will get nominated for Best New. It makes no sense. I don't put much into it. Now, now, I remember that year because uh, when Bon Iver won Best New Artist, there were two responses on Twitter. It was, this guy's been around forever, forever, four years, and then two... Who is Bon Iver? There's one or the other. There's nothing in yeah. between. Well, it wasn't a lot of top 40 hits, I don't think, was yeah. there? No, not, not for Bon Iver that <laughs> Not year, for no. Bon Iver, no. And was that the first time that you sort of engaged with that? Was that your first interaction with yes, him? Yes, I think so. As I've said before, it, it, a lot of my listening, especially in that period, was based around my kids who were teenagers, so discovering. Right. Definitely Bon Iver fell into that mm. mix. It wasn't something that I found. It was something that was, you know, sure. probably played in the car or in the in the house. So. And you had a young daughter. I'm shocked that she wasn't playing you skinny love. She had to have been. She was. Yeah. Yeah, she was. And I, I mean, I was aware of it. It just wasn't on my playlist. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I knew it and liked it. Now, when you listen back to it now... And and seeing how the career and the 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 shape of his music has changed and shifted so much, what was your impression going from album one to album two? I just thought the sound, and I I want to make another point: CDs and playlists and Spotify and all that. I don't know how you were. You're probably better at knowing names because you have to in your line of work. There was a lot of music I was listening to that I couldn't tell you who the artist right. was, right? Just because it was on the 
you know, the shuffle or whatever. It was whatever. made for you. Made for me. And, you know, it, we're spoiled now where it shows up on a screen on your radio or uh-huh. whatever. But but back then it didn't really. So there was a lot of music that I probably listened to and knew and liked. Uh, I mean, I didn't I, as, an know as, who it was. as an aside, I hate to make this top 40, but it was remarkable in our industry, at least in, in my industry, where uh, Rihanna had, what, four number one singles and we couldn't, as a radio station, give those tickets away when she would come around town. You know why? Nobody knew who she was. Yeah. Nobody knew who Rihanna yeah, yeah. was. Yeah. She had top single, number one single after number one single. Yeah. She was just a sound that people understood. Now she's a major star that, you know, it would never in a million years would you find somebody who doesn't know who Rihanna is exactly. unless they're in a cabin in Wisconsin under a snow pile. <laughs> uh, but but that's to your point. Yeah, it was curated for us for a long time. And if you didn't go out and search and find it and absorb it, it could live in the background forever. Yes. I mean, I, I can think now of Decemberus. Or, or one of those bands that I couldn't have told you the name or who right. it was, but I listen to it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Decemberist Vampire Weekend, one of those things. Exactly. It, just, it sounds good when it's on. It fits my mood. Yeah, at Vampire Weekend, for sure. Portugal the Man. Yeah, a lot of that stuff. I just, well, who is that? Who is that? And yeah. who is Bon Iver? He gets that second album, uh, Bon Iver, Bon Iver, written by Bon Iver, performed by Bon Iver. And uh, he gets nominated for Best New Artist. That's weird. The best new artist that's been around for four years is incredibly strange, but to have a... By the way, I was at that Grammys that year when Bon Iver won. I was legitimately standing up. Nobody around me was like, what and who in the hell is going... Yeah. I'm just losing my mind excited. So Bon Iver uh, gets, uh, wins the best new artist Grammy. The one that shocked me was he was nominated for Song of the Year. How does a random independent artist who's on the record label Jag Jag Jaguar. Yeah, Wait, is it Jag 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 Jaguar. Jag Jaguar. Jaguar. Yeah. yeah. I don't even know who they are. How does that happen? Don't you think though that sometimes the industry reacts weirdly? Weirdly. And he talks about that a lot. He speaks about how much he dislikes the industry and award shows and awards in general and recognition because of that. Because yeah. of how weird it is and there's really no sense to it. No, and, and it's it's like a the rubber band theory. It stretches so far, and then it reacts weirdly, and then it goes back to the way it was. So that may be just one of those years where people tried to make a point, whatever it was, and, and he happened to be the, the, the beneficiary, I guess. So the song Holocene from Bon Iver nominated for Record and Song of the Year. Do you remember who beat him that year at the Grammys, Barry Corder? I do not. That would be Adele. Oh, Adele sweeping everything that year. This is the What Podcasts. Welcome. That's Barry Corder from the Chattanooga Times Free Press. I'm Brad from Hits 96 WDOD in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So the uh, big news over the week uh, about Bonnaroo, of course, uh, the schedule came out. The official schedule came out pretty damn close to what happened with the leak that we talked about last week. Boney Bear finds himself, themselves, in an interesting spot, at least for me, because... Uh, I don't, this is what I don't like. And this is where I get very picky. I understand conflicts and uh, I'm okay if it's a conflict conflict where I just have to like walk away and say, I'm just not going to be seeing them. Like for instance, a future guest on the podcast, hopefully a first aid kit. Right. I might be missing that show considering it's up against Anderson. Pop. Yeah. Yeah. I saw that this morning. I might just have to write that one off. Yeah. It happens. It I mean, happens. it happens. I, I'm okay with that where I have a problem. Is let me explain to you my schedule for Saturday night. Anderson Pocket, nine o'clock, eight forty-five on the what stage? It ends at ten o'clock. At ten o'clock, Bony Vare on the which stage? Mm-hmm. 
at 11 o'clock it ends. Eminem starts at 12.10, Eminem ends, and Bon Iver starts five minutes later. That's not good for optimal viewing. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> that's not going to be That's not gonna be the easiest trek going from stage to stage through 80,000 people. No. You know, something I've never quite understood is why the what stage is fenced off like it is. I just have never under... Everything else is so wide open, but the what You're stage about is... The, the tunnel that you basically yeah. have to go through? I've never quite understood mm. why just that one is that way. Yeah. Because it why creates what you're talking about um that you know the show ends the log jam the log jam the log jam there's really only two major ways in yeah and i so so here i guess the reason why i bring this up is to to round about to i think a bigger question about bonru in general are you a bonru pop in the walk the walk by are you a walk by i'm a walk by or you stick it through i'm a walk by i i like seeing a whole show i like like seeing from the beginning to the end the entire piece I'd not necessarily walk by guy. I feel as though I never, ever get into something like that. If it's a bad show and I'm not into it, I'll just leave. Yeah. But I want to give you my full undivided attention for the entire performance. I've, I've changed on that, and I'll tell you why. When I go for work. I'm there. Me too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I actually am. Brad is very busy if the bosses are listening, by the way. I'm very busy maintaining Camp Nut Butter, exactly. okay? I'm there taking pictures. I'm there writing stories and all of that stuff. So for the longest time, it got into my head that I needed to be up front, partly because I can. Mm-hmm. And I know you like being up front. I too. have to be up front or else yeah. I'm just not in it. Um, and so I like to get up there and take photographs, get in the pit and, and, and whatever, and then it sort of they kick me out you know you get the three songs or whatever mm-hmm. and so for some reason i had it stuck in my head that well if i'm not up front I, i'm not happy and then i'll <laughs> tell you i went to see um uh my morning jacket with adam and monica kinsey here who couple club owners and uh longtime bonnaroo goers mm-hmm. which is why i mention them they took a blanket and got a space way in the back mm-hmm. in the field behind the sound and were just happy as they could be right. and i ended up watching the show there with them and i thought i kind of like this i don't really? really need to see sweat on the face i'm not one of the and I, I tell you what i can't stand is being up front and having people constantly coming up to push me out of the mm-hmm. way well you know I, i'm not that guy and i hate i don't like being around very i i understand the theory behind the blanket field dweller i get the blanket field dweller on lifestyle yeah but uh let me just tell you and i'm sure there's a certain show where that makes a lot of sense i did that for radiohead and that was one of the biggest mistakes i've made in my bonnaroo career yeah i I was majorly upset with myself people are different what's interesting is my uh young guy that i know is one of these got to be up front guys Mm -hmm. And he does all the tricks. And he got up front, and somebody was trying to pull one of the tricks on him, the elbow oh, out. No. And he oh, said, no. put yeah. your elbows. Oh, yeah. And he was mad at the guy doing what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, we, we, know, we know the game. We all know the game. <laughs> but he was mad at this guy. Uh-huh. And I was like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, my favorite, my favorite uh, get up front guy story is the get up front guy was at, um, oh man, I cannot remember the show. It might have been Stevie Wonder. Got up way up front. I mean, there was only maybe four rows of people in front of me. This son of a bitch gets in front of me, weasels his way in front of me, and plops down a lawn chair. (laughs) Are you out of your mind? (laughs) I'll tell you my worst, and maybe this is why I feel this way. Going back to 30 years ago, the uh, Simon and Garfunkel concert in Central Park, they went on the 
road and they took it to grant field in atlanta Mm -hmm. i went with uh, my girlfriend at the time and her sister my girlfriend at the time was a get up front person Mm -hmm. she insisted that we we got there late people had gotten there early and putting their put their blankets down on the field she insisted that we get up closer so we got there 15 minutes before showtime and we stood people had put their four blankets corner to corner checkerboard there was about six inches of grass between two of these blankets, and we stood there. <laughs> that is savagery, man. Oh, we were they the things that were said to us uh-huh. about those people because we just stood there like pretending to be invisible, and I was miserable. <laughs> I couldn't. All I wanted to do was leave. <laughs> that's terrific. The other stuff that's playing on Saturday as the uh, schedule came out, we've got Sylvanesso. I'm very excited about. I hope that we can talk to. Uh, on the podcast, we've got Mavis Staples making her triumphant return to Bonnaroo playing the Witch Stage at 545. Moses Sumney, I'd like to talk about uh, in, a, in another episode, too. I think that they are incredibly good. And somebody we featured last week on our uh, Bonnaroo Roulette, Larkin Poe, yeah. uh, some of your Saturday artists. Now, we got a comment through the website, thewhatpodcast.com, this week that really turned the wheels in my brain. And made me start thinking about things a little bit differently than I had ever before. Uh, I don't know who it was. What was the comment? What was the guy's James name? James Price. James, okay. First of all, thanks to everybody for emailing us. I love them. Yeah, and by okay. the way, it's the reason you should email and give us a comment or interact is it's your entry into Bonnaroo. It could be a Bonnaroo ticket for you, which, by the way, we're going to do the drawing next week. Yeah, I was Next week, s- we're doing the drawing for the Bonnaroo tickets, and we'll announce it right here on the podcast. I was going to say, we need to get that done. But James, uh, he, he offers a potential question for us to discuss. Uh, says, the past couple roos have had the announced headliner set times reduced from previous years, and the schedule has just that was just announced uh, this week continues that trend. He says 2013 was his first roo with Tom Petty. Pearl Jam, but the headlining time slots are a joke now, yeah. he says. Man, I'm going to go you one step further. Every single set time is shorter across the board. Yeah, it d- says one hour 15 for Muse, one hour 20 for the Killers. An hour that 15 stinks. for Muse. Muse yeah. could play for three hours. Yeah, I'll go you one step better. Do you know how long the set is for Eminem? Uh, I think he... 70 minutes. Yeah. 70 minutes. I have a theory, man. Like, I didn't notice it before. I didn't notice it before when he said that. I know people have, have brought this up before, but now Rogers is going to do an hour. Anderson Pac is the longest, I think, headlining slot at an hour 15, and I think that's probably because he has new music coming out. I guess The Killer's doing an hour 20 is up there. Alt-J only doing an hour. Future doing an hour. I think it goes back, and, and I hate to be simplistic about this, but back to exactly what we were just saying a few minutes ago, the Bonnaroo walk-by. I may be totally off base here but what if they're reducing set times a they probably get it for a little cheaper and b they're maximizing what they're seeing the audience do and they're not sticking around through through extended sets they're popping from artist to artist to artist maybe and so there's no necessary there's no need for an artist to do an hour and a half two hour sets anymore that's not who the audience is that's not who's at bonnaroo anymore that that i think is is probably some of it i don't know i haven't really thought about it and we have a couple of uh, ideas for future shows with some industry industry people, some friends of yours. Maybe we can ask them. That's a good idea. I know that in the past, especially arena shows that used to tour, 90 minutes was the limit uh, and because you got into union 
issues with some of the crew I don't know. if I don't it know went if over that. And I don't know if that has anything to do with it or not. But let's, for, let, for instance, when I saw Spoon of Bonnaroo a couple years ago, they played a solid hour. When I saw them in Atlanta just a few weeks ago, it was a good hour 45. Yeah. Now, it, it, that is just part of the festival experience. The, sh- the s- sets are going to be shorter. Why? Which I don't is, know. Which is completely an, a different trend than what Bonnaroo what, was. What it I used mean, to be. That's my right. My morning jacket was four hours. And that was always, uh, we'd mentioned on here, the, the expectation the year the police was there that it was going to be a special it's just extended, not, and it wasn't. It's just not going to be like that anymore. It's just a different world. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I really don't even know that I can speculate. Well, that's my theory. My we, theory we is need to that, look into it. My theory is that the attention span is just not there anymore. I, I don't know if the audience is doing an hour and a half show anymore. I think there's some of us that would do it. But like you, like you used to be, bouncing from show to show is sort of the norm. And yeah, that's absolutely. I'm, yeah, I'm a walk by. There's, I'll admit it. There are bands that I'll go just to say I saw. You know, laid eyes on. Uh, and, and if it interests me, I'll stick around. Saturday, Bon Iver, the witch stage, not doing the what, then the witch, just doing the witch stage, uh, bookending Eminem, uh, right before Eminem, right after Eminem. I have a feeling like one of the shows is going to be 22 a million, the entire show. And if you look at some of the shows that he's done previously, what he will do is a full 45 minute set of 22 a million and then do an encore of another hour of just Bon Iver stuff. So if the safe money is on something like that, I would, I would agree. Um, and if that's the case, I am going to be a absolute giddy teenager because twenty two a million. This is where this is where I'm not going to be able to shut up. I truly feel like the best art is the art that you continually talk about, no matter if you like it or not. I, for instance, didn't like Avatar. I didn't think Avatar was a good movie at all. Right. But I was talking about that damn movie for a month. Yeah. It didn't. It always came up. I can't stop talking about 22 a million and it's been out for what 16 months. It was not only my favorite album of 2016, but it may be one of my favorite albums of all time and I'm going to blow your mind when it first came out. Me and one of our campmates were talking about it. I said, "Boy, I hate this." Yeah. It is such a difficult and struggle of a listen, but it is the most rewarding album I can remember pouring myself into. Yeah, that is good art. Um, that's what it's supposed to do is trigger something. Well, when you listen to it, what do you hear? You didn't come into it as a Bon Iver fan. To be fair, I probably need to give more uh, to, to fully speak to that. It was I listen a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's just atmosphere, it's background, yeah. and then sometimes it's you know headphones on, and, and um, I haven't done that with it yet. So. Yeah. It's a strange listen for somebody like you who did the catalog all at once. Yeah. Went from... Uh, the folksy indie stuff to plugging in some guitars and adding horns to the transition to complete and utter chaos that yes. is 22 a million. Yes. And I love the way that Justin talked about what he was actually wanting from this album. I was trying to find myself. Uh, I did not. But I did find that I was incredibly bored and kind of panicking a lot. I was just kind of wrestling with the fact that I felt really poor at that, at that time. Just kind of got back to my room. And just, I was kind of humming on the way home, like, it might be over soon, like, if this feeling might be over. And uh, so I just got back and sang just some improvisation into a little sampler called the OP1, which I used a lot to make the album. It just chops up, you, ch- you can chop up what it is. And when you chop up part of the sample, it sounded like you're, it was two, two. And so I was like, 22 is my favorite number. And uh, I always thought that it reminded me of a duality, like a paradox, like an. And like a coin has two sides, kind of thing. Yeah, just a, du- a duality in general. 
and uh, I thought that it might be over soon is kind of a, a perfect kind of conjecture to that idea that oh man it might be over soon like oh no I want it to last forever or it like it might be over soon thank you God then I that's when I kind of figured out that it was like about the album was going to be numbers and 22 is my thing and yeah, kind of from there. Hi, Barry Corder. We're going to play a brand new game. We're adding a brand new game to the What Podcast today. All right, you ready? I'm ready. All right, is it a Boney Vare lyric or did I just make it up? Okay. All right, so uh, Boney Vare, if uh, if there's anything that, that gets me the most about Justin and his songwriting is he literally just makes up words. He makes up words and he writes songs. Like a lot of times he'll write songs and just hum out sounds and he'll create words that just fit the sound that he's looking for. That's what I find so creative about him. Like, he will just pull th- words out of thin air that I make... I could do that in my writing. You should. Try it. That make no <laughs> I've sense... I've been accused of it. <laughs> well, <laughs> when you try to spell my name, yeah, it's pretty bad. When uh, he'll just pull words out of thin air just because it fits the sound that he wants. Right. All right? All right, so I'm going to play a little game. Is it a Bonnaroo lyric... Or is it a Boney Vare lyric, or did I just make it up, all right? Clever name, right? Yep. Alright, here we go. I'm unorphaned in our northern lights, dedicoding every daemon taken in the tall grass of the mountain cable. <laughs> Did I make that up or is that a real Bony Vare lyric? I'm gonna say based on your description, that is a real lyric. That is a real Bony Vare lyric. Right? <laughs> Here's another one. Even in my demons come talk for a finer cause, only love for long along with every grimy word. Real Bony Vare lyric, or did I just make it up? I don't think you could make that up. Hmm. You think it's a real Boney Vare lyric? I think it's a real lyric. I just made it up. <laughs> That's good. Uh, we'll do one more. You do, you you channeled your... <laughs> That's good. All right. Let's do one more. I was unafraid. I was a boy. I was a tender age. Melick in the naked. Knew a lake and drew the lofts for page. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> that is an actual Boney Vare lyric from Michigan. Yes, it's a very tough game, isn't it? Let me say, the song that you played just before we came back is is the one that I thought my stereo at home was broken. Oh, yeah. that's, that's the one where I heard people talking on the other side it's, of the wall. It or, is a bizarre album, but that's what I love about yeah. it. And the like reason it. the reason why I love these lyrics so much, even though they don't make any sense sometimes, serious music people will find definition in what they want to find. Yes. And sometimes I think we take all of this way too seriously. We think way too much about it. Sometimes I think Justin is just putting stuff out there because it sounds right and he wants to let you be the be the decider. Let you figure it out and go from there. He'll take whatever it is you say. Yeah. Not to get too deep into the woods, but there is a trend in in the art world and I'm really glad to see it. Part of my job at the paper, I write about everything. Music just is one of them, but um, the like serious museums like the one we have here. You're talking about songbirds, the guitar music. No, no, I'm talking about the actual the art, the Hunter Museum oh, of American Art, art. Okay. Yeah. paintings, oil paintings. It, it, the theory used to be you had to have an education, you had to know about brushstroke and color and what was the artist trying to say and all that and and it turned a lot of people off. It created this whole perception of art snob type of thing. And there's a real trend now, and our museum is one of them. It's it's whatever you see. Right. If it makes you think of, you know, childhood I'll, or I'll stop whatever. Right I'll stop you right there. If it makes you think. If it makes you feel, feel, think anything. Right. You can't explain why. You don't care why. If it just makes you smile or it makes you feel sad or whatever, that is your honest feeling. Right. It's a big 
change. It, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a very serious change. And uh, I think that's a long way of saying what you were just saying. Yeah. And that's the point of what he puts into that music is, you know, if it's tinkling glasses. Sure. Then it, it works. And it's definitely not going to follow a, a chorus, verse, verse, right. chorus exactly. structure. Exactly. Exactly. And he talks about that. I, I got, Speaking of art, I've often said it's like going from For Emma and then Bon Iver all the way to 22 a million. It's almost like if Picasso decided to stop doing what he was doing and just start painting football games. <laughs> you know, it didn't, wouldn't make any sense. And he talks about that transition into 22 a million. Listen the moment for me the moment from, uh, was when I was making the second song, the song that was supposed to come directly second. And that's actually been quite around quite a long time. Um, it was it was called it's called De- ten death breaths now, but it was called Lester Check for a long time after our our friend Ben Lester kind of helped us make it uh, that song. But we had it on we had it very early on. Me and B J Burton had this drum loop and it just sounded broken down, like you said, and uh, messed up a little bit. And personally, what I was going through and just what I found other people are going through is like a lot of anxiety. And things like that, and that for me got me up out of my seat and made me want to break, break it down, crush something, or do something. It was aggressive sounding. So that when I had that going on, it was kind of almost finished, basically right when we made it. So we had to kind of sit on it for three years or whatever it's been. Uh, but that kind of is like a song, a caveat, I guess, if you will, that I wanted to build around, and that was like. All right, this sounds like breaking open a new fabric or something. That is the moment when I'm probably going to lose my mind at the witch stage at Bonnaroo 2018. I cannot wait for Bone Iver, and I am apologizing to you right now, Barry. I am going to be talking about this probably every day until I see it. Weeping, crying, I, mush. I could not be more excited yeah, it's about gonna Bon It's going to be good. Iver. It's going to be fun. All right, so uh, as we get closer to Bonnaroo, I think it, uh, if we can give you a suggestion, and I'm telling you this because I haven't talked to you about this, it's meeting time. Yes. It's time to, I think, I suggest that you get your uh, camp mates together and start talking about camp. You start planning camp. You start making your schedule, talk about the schedule with with right. your camp mates. Everybody comes with their list of don't miss yeah. acts. That's right. Surprise acts, secret acts. And by whatever. the way, if you haven't gotten Bonnaroo tickets, go ahead and get them now and be a part of the fun. Yeah. Join in. Uh, so I want to do a meeting. Let's have a meeting. You Let's wanna, have a meeting. You want to get the Camp Nut Butter guys together? Yep. Camp Nut Butter. We need to call a Camp Nut Butter meeting. What do you think? Next Sunday after the podcast? Yeah, there you go. Good I like idea. it. All Good right. idea. You're Maybe buying? Made, You're buying the beers? Uh, yeah. Maybe we can even have them in. That'd be interesting. The it? whole camp? We can do a Camp Nut Butter podcast. Oh, my God. That'd be funny. Uh, let's let's think do, about how that. about this? Let's invite them in and we'll record it. Uh, but let's not promise it's going to ever make it <laughs> the air because I don't know how well that's going to go. That's a good. That's a good. Good idea. It's just, a let's lot talk, of, it's just too many inside jokes. I just want to mention what we do have planned. We hope you mentioned Ooh, first tell. aid kit. I'd love uh, to talk to first aid kit. I that, love those girls. Hoping that happens this week. Uh, Mike from Relics was kind enough to reach out. I think we're going to have him. That'd be awesome. On. That'd be really cool. They do the, um, be- is it the Beacon? Yeah, the Bonnaroo Beacon. Bonnaroo Beacon. They print the newspaper every day. Uh, the, he's been there every year except the first one, I think. So he'll have some really cool insights. I can't wait. That sounds like a blast. Yeah, and uh, your guy, uh, Labelhead. Yeah, a yeah, uh, guy from Columbia Records, one of the top guys uh, in Columbia Records who stops by our camp each and every year just yeah. to be amongst the Camp Nut Butter nonsense. I, I can't remember his exact title but he's one of those guys that when he walks into the room you're like 
Oh, yeah. The entire Columbia Records entourage is here. Gotcha. I'd yeah. love to talk to him and, and get his perspective Absolutely. on on what the festival means to him specifically and more generally where the industry is for festivals. I can't wait to talk to him because he's he's like Ashley uh, when we talk to him. They are in the business as as we are, but they're music fans. They, he goes and does the festival. Right. We're, and so we're in the business. They are the they business. They are the business. Right, exactly. All right. Yeah. We'll talk to you next week on The What Podcast. Thank the what you. Podcast.com, at The What underscore podcast on Twitter. Bye. Hey, 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 hey. the stories that define the artists playing Bonnaroo. Who are they? What are they? What will you see? The what? Which bands? This year? That matter. With Brad Steiner and Barry Corner. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.